I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And now, broadcasting live, it's time for the Kick-Ass Radio Show. Your place for motivation, inspiration, and edumacation. Each week, our host, Christopher Rausch, and his guest share what it takes for you to have an unstoppable attitude for your personal and professional success. And now, for your host, Mr. Kick-Ass himself. It's That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's Bon Jovi. The theme song to my life. I just want to live while I'm alive because it's my life. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Radio Show, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. We are broadcasting live from our studios here in sunny, warm, muggy Southern California. And I'm your host, Christopher Roush, and I want to welcome you all to our show today. And here on the Kick-Ass Radio Show, what we do here is we teach you how to have an unstoppable attitude for personal and professional success. What that means is that you're able to have that just kick-ass attitude, that self-confidence that ability to, to ditch fear to the curb and, you know, stop procrastinating. That's what we do here every week. Me and my guest, who I hand-select, come on here and they share five tips that you can begin using immediately. So I really encourage you to make sure you have pen and paper. Unless you are driving your motor vehicle, then I don't want you to get pen and paper. You can always go back and listen to these shows because they go to podcasts. This show is actually 100% live right now. And in about an hour after the show, it'll be on iTunes. So if you want and you want to go back and check out previous episodes, you can do that. Just head over to ChristopherRausch.com. It's R-A-U-S-C-H, ChristopherRausch.com. Go over to the radio show tab, and halfway down you'll see a link to iTunes where you can follow the show, and you can get uh, you can get all the podcasts and go back and listen to that because we are on show. As of today, we are on show. I should always do this before, and I don't. Um, we are on show because it changed that thing, and we're going to change this thing. Uh, we are we are on 121, so we've done 120 episodes of the Kick-Ass Radio Show. So if you take that, you take 120, and you multiply that by five tips, 600, oh my God, 600 tips, 600 tips, ladies and gentlemen, that we have shared here on the Kick-Ass Radio Show. So don't give me any bullshit that you can't figure out what's going on in life and how to change things, because there are 600 tips for free, free um, they're uh, on iTunes that you go you can go check out. Now I'll admit we've had some awesome guests, and I will admit we've had some not so awesome guests. You know that's what the, that's what happens in life. Um, but really, go back and listen to those. They're entertaining. There's more than five tips in there. I promise you. Uh, and always, you know, if you want to give me feedback on those tips or whatever you listen to, you know, you can always feel free to email the radio show info at thekickassradioshow.com. Again, info at thekickassradioshow.com. And speaking of guests, last week we had. Get this, the world champion of public speaking from 2000, Ed Tate, was on the show last week talking about, you know, the five mistakes that presenters make. And some people were telling me during the week, you know, before the show, they were saying like, well, Chris, I'm not a speaker like you, and I don't do many pre- presentations and whatnot. But in this, in this episode, we talked about, um, you know, making sure you, you, you are actually presenting. I mean, even if you're presenting to your own department or you're pre- presenting to the executive team there at work, you know, you want to know and you want to be the best you could possibly be because that's going to set you apart from the rest of the crowd. Uh, I recently helped some people through some coaching um, do that. You I mean, you want to be known as the best. You want to show up and you want to blow up. You want to not like an, a terrorist, but you want to show up. You want to blow up. You want to be like known for everything. And public speaking and presentations are the thing that people hate to do the most. So if you become really good at it, guess what? That just enhances your marketability uh, and your value to your employer. Or if you're an entrepreneur, of course, there's no way you're not doing presentations. So uh, go back and, uh, and listen to last week's episode. Ed was uh, very charismatic, very entertaining. Um, and we just talked about you know making the most out of your time when you're speaking in front of people. Um, we talked about different learning styles. Again, not even if you're a speaker, but just learning about different people's learning styles is huge. I mean, it's, it's astronomical. 
So anyways, before I go any further, I just want to um, you know, just give a shout out. Of course, uh, yesterday here in the United States, we're I mean, we're broadcasting all over the world. But here in the United States, we had the 4th of July. Um, I believe that was I have to look at my watch actually. <laughs> that was 2 days ago. Uh, I'm on vacation now, so I don't have to worry about it. So I'm not even looking at, at what day it is. But uh just a I had a great 4th of July and you know, celebrating our independence and you know, celebrating family and community in in the USA. So that was a blast. Um, another thing, uh, just so you guys know out there, I want to make sure this is perfectly clear because this is huge. I got my 1969 Dodge Charger back. Yes, the beast is back and it sounds menacing. It looks terrible, but it looks, sounds menacing. So that's all that matters. You know, if you're sitting in a stoplight and you look like you can punish somebody, that's kind of cool. Anyways. Um, all right, well, let's just get into this. My guest tonight, I'm happy to say is Rhonda Vigent. She's a business owner, author, speaker, and a fellow radio show host. And most important, she's a home movie consultant. Uh, she and her husband, Phil, who I happen to know also, own Pro 8mm in Burbank, California, a company dedicated to the use of professional use of Super 8 film for both production and archiving uh, for over 40 years. Rhonda is passionate about working to raise the collective consciousness to get old reels out of the closets and educate people on how to best preserve, share, digitize, repurpose family legacies on film. She says, home movies can be used as a vital part of any genealogy project and are a journey in self-discovery that can be a catalyst to shift your focus and transform your understanding of family dynamics. Uh, this is just huge stuff. She's recently uh, written her first book, Get uh, Real About Your Home Movie Legacy. Get, wait a minute, let me say that again. Get Real About Your Home Movie Legacy Before It's Too Late. Anyways, let's get, uh, let's get Rhonda on the show. Rhonda, you are on the Kick-Ass Radio Show. Are you there, sweetheart? I am here, and I am excited to be here, Christopher, so I'm going to have a kick-ass hour with you, and thank you so much for having me. Awesome, awesome. I am, uh, I'm, I'm very pleased to have you. It's been a way long overdue. How are you doing? I haven't had even a chance to talk to you and catch up on other stuff. How are, how's life in the big city these days? Life is great. You know, I mean, as business people and entrepreneurs, and as you always say, you just got to go for it in life. And so um, I've been involved in this 90-day leadership journey. And I'm about halfway through. And, you know, I think as a business owner and just a person who's so busy and engages life, you say to yourself, how could I be any busier? (laughs) And then you start to clearing goals in five areas of your life, like family, career, finance, community, health and wellness. And you're like, you know what? I think the key to being even happier and healthier is to really push yourself in the areas that you know that there's room for improvement. So I have been just so busy but so so moved by the fact that I get to, you know, just uh, do things that I've never done before, like go down to Skid Row and feed the homeless. How awesome is that? One of the oh, challenges wow. we had was to feed as many people as we could on $7. How did you do that? We fed 1,000 people. We fed 1,000 people. We started texting every. Yeah, we started texting everybody we knew to donate money. Uh, there was a team of five of us, and we'd buy the pizzas and build them later, and we bought 150 pizzas, just some people promise, of pledging something in a text. We had two hours, and, uh, you know, this is the kind of kick-ass motivation that you talk about all the time, right? Like when you're, when you're presented with a challenge and you don't necessarily know where to start or what it's going to look like, like how can you think outside the box to get it done get it done yes. in excellence and exceed your expectations. Wow, that's amazing. So what did so it was, you fed that many people with pizzas, so you made the pizzas or you ordered them? No, we ordered them, but we just um there was a team of 5 of us basically texting everybody we knew would they pledge a donation saying that we were going to buy the purchase purchase the pizzas on our credit card and then we would send them like a PayPal invoice within 24 hours to reimburse us. So yeah, we raised like $700 just in text messages in 90 minutes. Wow, that's awesome. And what was that like feeding the, the, the people on Skid Row? Because I'm always fascinated by that. I haven't been down there in decades. Yeah, it's very eye-opening. And it's something that I think everybody should do, if for no other reason, to be truly grateful what we have and focus yeah. on what you do have and instead of what you don't have. Because um, it, it, it's very, it's moving, it's eye-opening, it's, about as real as you can get when you see that people in this country are hungry, right? And here we are, we say we're the greatest nation in the world, but yet the amount of poverty and starvation is just rampant. 
And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I think the world is crying for transformation. And I think more of us have to step up and be the stand for a transformed world. Mm. No, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. It's. I mean, it's. It's. It's heartbreaking. I, I do some work out here in Riverside and, and helping uh, the homeless, and it's just. It breaks my heart, especially when you see a kid. I mean, I remember personally me and my struggle going through being homeless, um, and and just I remember just being so hungry it hurt, and and seeing these people out there. You're right. I mean, it's amazing. It's. I mean, we're we got the the wealthiest people, and then we got the poorest people, and it just. Uh, I it just blows my mind. But I'm so happy that you went out there and made a difference and and did that. Uh, were there kids? Were there kids out there on Skid Row? Oh yeah, yeah, tons kids. Wow. Uh, and because we did it the last week of June, they often run out of money um, at the end of the month, and they haven't got their new allocations yet. So even the midnight shelter uh, didn't have as much food as they needed. So that's when we brought all the pieces and we fed the people inside the shelter, and they were just so grateful because they weren't sure. They knew they didn't have enough food or money left at the end of the month to feed all the people who are going to be looking for a meal that afternoon. Wow. That's, uh, that brings back a lot of memories. And uh, I, that's why Barb, you know, my wife, for you guys out there in Radio Land who don't know who my wife is, which you better, uh, <laughs> she'll ask me most every night. She'll say, she goes, hey, honey, what do you want for dinner? And uh, God is my witness. I, most of the time I'm like, I don't care. I'm just happy to eat. And this is, you know, from decades of, uh, ago from being homeless. But it's just like I'm just so thankful I never take it for granted because sometimes you never know where your next meal is going to come from. Um, so, so you did this as part of a leadership project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're doing a bunch of them. Uh, my other leadership project is I'm raising $6,000 for suicide prevention. I lost my sister-in-law four years ago, and, um, you know, my kids and her kids, we really wanted to figure out what organization we could get involved in to make a difference. And, you know, Christopher, it's amazing when you start raising money for a cause that has affected somebody you know, but you didn't know that that it affected them, and you mm-hmm. start telling your story and asking for donations. Um, even in the group that we used to be both a part of, there's several people who've lost a loved one to suicide that I never knew about. And so it really gives you the, it's not just about raising the money, which of course is awesome. You know, we've already raised $2,000 in the last three weeks um, for suicide prevention, but um, it gives you an opportunity to connect with people you know, who you share now this very sad legacy with, and you can offer them support because you understand where they're grieving and where their mindset is because you've been through it yourself. So um, that's really something I didn't expect to come out of the fundraising, is having the opportunity to now have a more, um, a deeper connection with people I already knew, but didn't know they'd lost a loved one to suicide as we had. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I was helping somebody um, probably, I guess maybe about March or April, her son, her 15 year old son tried to commit suicide and, you know, just learning about the aspects of what happens in the family and the dynamics. He, he wasn't successful, but he did uh, suffer some brain damage. Uh, and mm-hmm. the, the ripple effect on that throughout the family, uh, her ex-husband, uh, the current husband, and just, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, literally it's catastrophic. I mean, their, their lives completely changed. And they had an open family and everything, and they just didn't understand how much pain this kid was going through because of the bullying that's going on in the schools. Um, right. So my heart, my heart just went out to them. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's just like anything else, you know, Rhonda. It's if when we when we walk in somebody else's shoes, it's amazing the clarity we get um, from from that perspective. I mean, that's one of the things I love doing is helping people change their their perspective about what's going on. I mean, recently the the gay marriage thing. I mean, I had people on Facebook. <laughs> Woo, yeah. And my goal goal was just, I mean, not to change their opinion, but also just to like, okay, how would you feel in this situation if this wasn't right? And, you know, just I, I, I think that's great, Rhonda, that you got involved and that you're doing something because I think that's the key to, to a kick-ass life, really. It is. It really is about giving back to your community. And honestly, Christopher, it's something that I haven't done enough of. And as I, you know, start to get towards, you know, I'm going to be 60 this year. Let's just call it what it is. And I think, you know, what parts of my life do I feel that I could give even more? And it's definitely been to community. I mean, yes, I've been involved in everything from PTA to, you know, major breast cancer walks, but how can I really make a difference in my community? And I think that's where my head is at now for however many years I have left, and I hope it's at least another 30. (laughs) It's really time for me to give back in a very significant way. And that's my goal. You know, that's really what my, my what's next is. 
you know, as I look at other people talking about retiring and things like that or people I went to college with were retiring, I'm like, I'm just getting started. Who has yeah. my mind if I was thinking about retiring? I may shift a little bit about what I'm doing, but there's so much good that needs to be done. And, you know, I'm just really committed to being a person that will be living in contribution um, because I, I think that we all need to, and I personally feel I haven't done as much as I could do and want to do more. It's true, and I and I, you know what? Now that you bring that up, I've I've been struggling with that recently myself, and just hearing you talk about it remind has reminded me of that importance because I mean, you know, I I volunteer at um, Olive Crest Children's Foundation for at risk kids, and I've been doing speaking and on all that, but it's all dried up like recently in the last couple of months, and I just kind of noticed that as you were talking about it, thinking, okay, usually I have something to jump in with. Hey, here's what I've been doing, and I'm like, I haven't done shit actually. So that's a that's a good reminder for all of us that you know we can always do more, and we can always go out there and help other people because. When I was, uh, when I think I can't remember if I told you this before, when I first got into coaching, I would do what was called pay it forward coaching, where the people couldn't afford to pay me anything. I would say, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to help you for as long as it takes, but I need you to go out and do three nice things for people that are complete strangers that you normally wouldn't do. And you have to come back and tell me about that. And rather than you do the greatest, the greatest gift in that was the people coming back. And like you said earlier, they went, Okay, all the things I've been complaining about, I shouldn't complain about because I went to give out stuffed animals at the the children's cancer ward at Chalk. I went and I and I brought my pet and I sang to the elderly people at the old folks home. I went and, you know, of course the traditional, I went and volunteered at a homeless shelter. Every single person came back and said, you know, Chris, thank you for making me do that because now I don't feel so stupid about, or now I feel even more stupid about, oh, yeah, I'm complaining about this and that. Um, yeah, there's no greater gift. I, I, and thank you for reminding me of that. I need to, I need to, uh, to do that as well. So we are, uh, we're getting, we're getting all deep in life. Um, <laughs> so let's transition a little bit. Um, we're talking about home movies, home movie legacies. For some reason, I can't say that sentence today for, I don't know what's going on. So talk to us about, talk to us about what, uh, what business you are in for our listeners out there who might not know. I gave the textbook introduction. Um, but just talk to us about how you guys got started in this and, and, and what it's all about and how the listeners can benefit from it. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, for those of you who grew up with a father or grandfather or uncle that had an old home movie camera, that was the genre that was popular between the 1930s, really up until the 1980s, where you'd get a little 50-foot uh, uh, roll of film uh, at your local drugstore, you'd put it in your home movie camera, you'd shoot it, uh, lasted about three and a half minutes, then you'd send it off to a lab, you'd mail it away, because the film usually came with an envelope. And uh, about a week later, you'd get it back. And then uh, most families had a little projector in their house. And you would put that little 50-foot reel up on your projector and voila, living room cinema with your family being the stars. So it was very popular in the 30s and 40s. The format was called regular 8mm. And it was Kodak's way of home photography um, make it more accessible to families who wanted to have a moving image record of their of their daily life. And so in 1965, exactly 50 years ago, exactly, exactly 50 years ago last month, um, Kodak came out with an even easier version of the home movie format, and that was called Super 8. It was easier because it came in a cartridge that you could just pop in the camera in broad daylight. The format that was the predecessor to it, Regular 8, it had to be loaded in the dark, uh, usually in a closet, and consumers found it a little bit cumbersome to do that because, you know, if you were just an amateur photographer and you're trying to thread something in the dark, you know, two spools around, a, you know, a, a little uh, loop, uh, it, it just wasn't as popular as the Super 8 format. So many, many millions of reels of Super 8 film have been shot from 1965 all the way up until about 1980 when the video camera came out as sort of the replacement for the home movie genre. And so when you think about it, those home movie reels are the most organic form of physical evidence we have not only about our families, but about life, right? Like the most uh, famous bit of home movie footage is the Zapruder footage. Abraham Zapruder was an ordinary citizen who happened to be uh, waiting for President JFK's motorcade in that 1963 November day, and he actually captured Kennedy's assassination on, on home movie film. And there have been wow. millions and millions, yeah, yeah. And that, that, 
that piece of film has been studied. That's more that's crazy. Than that's crazy. So evidence. he was just out there, like videotaping, just to see the president wave, and that, that guy is the one that, that shows the assassination. Yes, yes, this is the Twitter footage. It's the one you've seen on TV many, many times. It just what came off bazillion. the ordinary citizen's home movie camera. And so, you know, that's the most extreme example of home movies as physical evidence. But, you know, there's no other way that we can see the way we lived, the way we interact with each other, our lives, our traditions, our celebrations, than home movies. And that's why people are often in awe when they get them transferred, but also perplexed as what to do with it. Because let's face it, if somebody handed you down a shoebox full of home movies, you're just seeing a bunch of little three-inch reels, and you can't see the image on them. Most people don't have projectors anymore. And with that being said, you shouldn't project old film anyways, because film shrinks as it ages, number one, and it doesn't line up in that old projector the way it once did. And number two, the projectors themselves have rubber belts that are starting to deteriorate. So when you put your pristine film through those old projectors, now little black gummy pills or dots start sticking all over the film because just like a rubber band, those belts wear out as they age. So one of the things that I do and my company Pro 8 Millimeter does is that we teach people how to bring your media from the past into the present so that it'll be there for the future. And there's much more to it than you think, and the reasons you want to do it are much more complex than you would think, okay? So, okay, to go back to my example, somebody hands you a shoebox full of home movies, and they just look like they all look the same. They look generic. They're these little three-inch reels, you know, usually on either a blue or white spool. If you're lucky enough, somebody left a note on it. They might have written with a Sharpie that said Christmas 1965 <laughs> or, <laughs> um, or, you know, Mom and Dad's Wedding 1952 or, you know, Bobby's First Steps 1971 or, you know, um, Labor Day Parade 1978. So we call that metadata. So one of the things that I tell my clients is that even if they don't know what's on the reel, they need to make an effort to start connecting to the reels emotionally by looking at clues that they already have. Oftentimes, our relatives save the little boxes that the film came back from the lab in, okay? So if you look at that little box that the film came back from the lab in, you're going to recognize somebody's handwriting. You're going to see the return address of the person that mailed it to the lab. And you can look at it and say, ooh, 95 Harvey Street. That was my grandpa's house. But grandpa died in 1962, and Uncle Paul and his family moved in there. So Uncle Paul must have shot that film. Then you're going to see postmarks and stamps. And as I mentioned a minute ago, you might even find a note from the relative saying, Benson's Wild Animal Farm, 19th Intrigued. It gets us intrigued to start talking to our relatives, actually, about not only the film we have, but maybe ask them what they have in their collection. Because I'd love to give you an example. My One of my absolute favorite films from my husband's family is 1962. The entire family was down at Plymouth Rock doing a reenactment of the first Thanksgiving. Hmm. My mother-in-law had made all the costumes. They all look like pilgrims right off the boat. I mean, they're actually walking onto the Mayflower. And so when we transferred it and saw it, it was amazing, but we didn't have any shots of my father-in-law because he was shooting the, the film. Right. But we did see my husband's, all my husband's other cousins were there that day, and we knew that my father-in-law's brothers also took movie cameras to family outings. So we called up some of the cousins and said, hey, can you look through the reels and see if you've got one that matches the date and description of this one? Sure enough, three of the other relatives had events of the same date. So that was really cool. So we got their reels as well, which now had shots of other family members. So now we have sort of a complete timeline of the entire family being at that Thanksgiving reenactment on, you know, the Mayflower, and it was absolutely awesome. I mean, it was just absolutely amazing. Wow, that's 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 super cool. I mean, I I, I know that um, in my family, I'm kind of I'm sad because 
as far as I know, there were never any videos taken. And I think back, you know, that that's such a shame, you know, when you think back, okay, we see the old movies and it takes us right back to those times where we see people when they were young and vibrant that maybe we didn't know, like, like seeing our grandfathers young and vibrant and whatnot. Um, what, are, what are some of the, I mean, is that, how does that impact you when you're working with your clients and they see those, they see those, those images or those videos for the first time? How does that, how does that impact you? I mean, I can't imagine it not being like crazily emotional. Chris, I have seen every level of emotion in my transfers can imagine because, you know, we live life with a certain, what we believe is our own reality, right? And sometimes we've made up stories to help us cope with certain things that have happened. So, for example, you know, I had a client once whose mother was a famous triathlete and and her parents were divorced and I think she somehow always blamed herself you know, as kids often do, that, you know, maybe it was my fault my parents didn't make it, maybe if I had been better or smarter or whatever. And as we were looking through the films, because she was looking for some specific shots of her mother, because she was going to use them in a documentary about the being the uh, triathlon, she realized that her father had not shot one frame of the mother, not a single shot. But over the 20 rolls, there were shots of every pretty girl close up oh. and walk by, okay? So this this woman had a complete revelation. She had kind of like a meltdown. She was like, oh, my gosh, it is clearly evident to me that my father was probably never in love with my mother because on all these home movies there's not a single shot of her, but there's shot after shot after shot after shot of every pretty woman that walks by. When I say that home movies can help us shift our focus and transform our understanding, we can have a huge shift. We can have an aha moment. We can have a breakthrough of everything we've believed about our family up until now once we see the physical evidence. And and it can be very, you know, frightening because what if we have yeah. to let go of a belief that we've had and begin to believe something else? <laughs> It forces us to let go of our stories that may not be serving us anyway and create a new story for our life based on the physical evidence. And that's why I feel that home movies are the most powerful, powerful information you can have about your family. We have a mutual friend who asked me many, many, many times to transfer her wedding footage because she was trying to move forward in her life, okay, so she finally brought me her wedding video, and I said to her, look, you're a coach. You of all people are a coach. Why are you so resistant to really look at this footage? She's like, I don't know. She's like, all kinds of things are coming up for me, but I'm definitely fearful to see what our wedding day was like. I said, I'm going to tell you one thing. I guarantee you at one point you were in love, right, and that by visiting this home movie, you're going to be able to get the closure that you need and that you say you want, can move on and have another wonderful, powerful relationship. So I transferred the film for her. I shipped it back to Florida. I called her. I said, have you watched it? She said, no. I said, okay. Well, you call me when you watch it. (laughs) About two, three months later, I saw her and I said, have you watched it yet? And she said, I haven't watched it. I said, Okay, as soon as you get home, I'm giving you an assignment. You watch it because I'm calling you in 48 hours, and I want to know what came up for you. She said it was the absolute best thing she could have done in terms of doing that final bit of closure that she needed to move on. And it did make her feel grateful that at one point she was married to a nice man, at one point they were in love, and that they were... It was sort of a mute. They were both mutually ready to end that part of their life and move on to have another adventure. So, you know, this is powerful stuff, letting go of the past. And I also feel, Chris, there's a lot of pain in the past. People are very resistant to look at the home movies because they don't know what's going to come up for them. And, um, you know, it's really important that they embrace the opportunity to get the clarity that we all say we're looking for. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it, it something popped into my head, Rhonda, because I was thinking about me and having mo- home movies. But I remember now, actually, um, when we were watching Barbara's uh, home movies when her dad uh, was taking pictures of the family and everything, 
it was it was funny. Now you just said that it, it triggered me. My, uh, Barb was like, she goes, "Wow, now I understand why my brother and my sister were always angry at me." Because in the video, you see her dad constantly going, oh, Barb, man, oh, Barb, oh, Barb, you know, and constantly, you know, giving her the focus of attention. And then you, as you see him scanning the the her brother and her sister, they always usually had, I should always, but usually had, you know, disgruntled looks on their face. We'll just put it that way. And, uh, and it was interesting to watch that because she kind of like, oh, I can now see it from their angle now. It's like, oh, you know, here because uh, he was out of work when she was little, so she, he got to spend more time with her. So they always thought she was the favorite, and yada yada yada. Because so you're so right. I mean, you can go back and look at these things, and and you know, it could be positive or it could be like, oh, now I see what was on, or now I see, um, we'll see how that on. Um, right. Oh, go ahead. I mean, even in my own life, and that's why I'm so passionate about this topic, you know, I grew up with a mother who was very depressed. You know, father wasn't around. They were married, but he wasn't around. They were 19 years old. And I sort of had this self-righteous attitude that, you know, despite the fact that my parents weren't there for me, I mean, they were there for me, but they weren't there for me, that I turned out pretty good. I'm pretty hard. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a hard worker. I have a successful business. And for many years, I was almost kind of self-righteous about it. And... But at the same time, I was really stuck writing my book. I couldn't find the anchor, the message that I was really trying to get out, the why and not just the how. Because I can talk all day about how the home movies get transferred and how we create a digital master, but why? Why do we want to do it? But when I went back and looked at my home movies, really looked at them, really took the time to study them, I had some huge breakthroughs around that because my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and my cousins gave me exactly what I needed in life. They knew that my mother and dad were limited in what they could offer me emotionally and financially. And my family compensated. They compensated big time. And so when I go back now and I watch those, it's so interesting how, as an adult now, looking back at my childhood and seeing how the holes were just filled in time and time and time again, by all the other relatives who were really there for me, really a stand for me, looking out for my best interest, and gave me every opportunity to be the person I am today. Which you're an awesome person, by the way, just for those for those of you guys out there. If, hey, if you guys are just joining us, we're on the Kick-Ass Radio Show. We're talking with my good friend, David. We're talking about how home movies and uh, can can either help or uh, perhaps uh, awaken you to certain things. And uh, something just dawned on, now, dawned on me, Rhonda is thinking about present. I, I was trying to, as I was preparing, for this, I think, okay, how do I combine present day stuff with obviously the legacy and the and historical value of, of Super 8? What happens in the situation, say, for example, I go to, my mom passes away and I go and I find her videos and I tell my brothers, hey, I found mom's videos. I don't know what's on here, but I'm going to go get them developed. I'm going to have Rhonda um, transform it. Oh, this is going to be so great. Is there, just thinking cynical me, is there any way that the other family members can tell me not to get that published if they know that there's something on there that shouldn't be seen? Is there, how does that, I don't know if there is anything in there, but it just, it kind of jumped in my yeah, head. That's a, that's a great question. So typically, whoever either shot the movies or the descendant of the person who's in the movies have the ownership of them. And if you're not trying to make money off of them, which is actually one of my tips, monetizing on your own, then nobody has the right to really say anything. I mean, I feel permission-based is always best. So even with my home movies, I started with a private YouTube channel until everybody I wanted to weigh in on them weighed in on them and gave them the opportunity for me to take down or edit out anything that was objectionable. And then once I had everybody kind of weigh in, I said, hey, would it be okay if I made these public now? Because I do believe there's a lot of stuff in here that researchers are also interested in because I know that the geographic neighborhood that they grew up in in Boston was often the subject of documentaries and TV shows and coffee table books, and so I just weighed in. If you want to actually sell some of your home movies as stock footage, which some people do to places like Getty Images because people are um, 
companies like that are always looking for new content contributors, then you do need a model release from either the person or their descendant. So say, for example, you had some great Grand Canyon footage of your family, and you wanted to upload that to Getty Images, people who are looking for content for television, movies, and commercials will go to look for a stock footage shop. Um, you do need permission if it's going to be used in a commercial application. I had somebody pick up a clip that my husband put up there, and we got $1,000 for it. <laughs> I mean, wow. it was just an ordinary, yeah, seriously. You can make, I always call it the other stock option. Take your film stock <laughs> and, and see if you can make some money on it. Seriously. You know, um, you know, we've seen those same shots over and over again of, you know, uh, Miami or Las Vegas or, you know, there's so many things. So, yeah, your your home movies is an opportunity for you to actually make some, some money through these stock footage houses who are always looking for new content contributors. But um, I hope that answered your question. So for private yeah, so use. Well, I was going to say, what are some of, uh, for the listeners out there, since this is one of your kiss-ass tip, kiss tips, I cannot talk today. Um <laughs> What are some some scenes or some movies that that Getty would uh, would want to see? Like you said, you know, landmarks or I mean, holiday celebrate. What kind of things would they would they like to look for the most? Absolutely anything. It's your ability to tag what you're putting up there, so researchers can find it. So if you have footage of your grandparents at. Um, you know, a little tiny train station in Austria because they were going back to visit family, and you tab that properly, you know, Dusseldorf train station, 1965. Somebody who's looking for Dusseldorf train station in the 60s will put that in, and that clip will pop up. Anything and everything. And things that you wouldn't even think of, like milking cows on a farm or... (laughs) harvesting the corn or, you know, a pie-eating contest at, you know, the country fair or the construction of the Chrysler building. I mean, anything, 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 because content contributors and content creators are looking for stuff all the time. If they don't have to recreate it, if they don't have to spend all that money, you know, recreating a train scene from the 60s, and they can go into a stock footage library and get exactly what they need and then just pop in the actors, it's even better. It's costing them less. It's much more authentic. And it gives you, the content contributor, a chance to make some money. So it's a huge win-win. I have a whole chapter in my book, Get Real About Your Home Movie Legacy Before It's Too Late, on how to monetize on your home movies. And I'd be actually happy to give you um, two books if you want to, put it with your show replay and, uh, you know, to give away to two of your interested listeners. Sure. There, there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're out there listening in radio land, um, send us an email info at, uh, the kickassradioshow.com and I'll put all the submissions in a hat and then I'll draw out two lucky recipients and I'll let you know, Rhonda. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. For sure. For sure. Well, give us a, another kick-ass tip somewhere, since we're, we're into that part of the show. <laughs> okay, so, you know, the, the biggest thing is people obviously don't know where to start. So my first tip is find out who in your family would like to assume the role of being your family historian or archivist. Because we all are overwhelmed <laughs> with the media that's been handed down to us, the media that we're creating, which most of us have no backup plan for at all, right? I always say there's going to be a big black hole, you know, for things that were just shot on your iPhone and not backed up. But it's really important to find out who's interested in it. It's usually somebody who's interested in genealogy research or somebody who's taken a lot of films themselves. And get together with your family and try to find out what everybody has. Start with your own collection and then go from there, just like we did with my husband's father's brothers because they all shot film. And so at the end, we were able to have a huge archive of all the Vigent home movies that we could share over the 46 cousins, or however many there are, and so that's a great place to start. You also want to make sure you take the oral histories of your oldest relatives that are still alive. And what I mean by that is you can even just turn on your smartphone, stop their military service, ask them to describe the house they grew up in, what their neighborhood was like, 
you know, did they all eat meals together? Um, did the who did the cooking? You know, did their mother or grandmother work? Uh, was there more than one generation living in their house? I mean, again, in my book, I have a list of like a hundred questions you could ask people in order to get as much information as you can about your family. Because when it's gone, it's gone. You know, my favorite uncle passed away last year at 88 years old, and I had spent so much time transferring the home movies, getting the oral histories, and yet after the funeral, we went back, we watched the home movies, which were wonderful, and his grandson asked me the one question that I couldn't answer. (laughs) No. And I I was like, you know, it had something to do with the house that they grew up in, you know, my, my uncle and his three siblings. And I was like, gosh darn it. You know, I thought we got this done early enough that you and your grandpa would have really had a chance to go through all of that. And so, you know, not only do you want to do it, but you want to absolutely engage the youngest generation in helping you. And that's what I love about, you know, um, my next tip, which is, you know, how to not only do you want to identify who's got the footage, but you also want to use technology to bridge family history you know we always say we want to engage the kids in family history right but sometimes they find it boring so one of the things that we do is we transfer all your movies and we give it back to you on a hard drive not a dvd and the reason we can do that is because people want to edit their life right i always say we want to edit out the bad parts so we can focus (laughs) more on the good parts you know like they do in real movies and Kids absolutely love it when you sit down with them and you need maybe their help because they might be a little more techno-savvy and say, hey, I've got all our home movies on this little external hard drive. Do you have a Mac? Do you have iMovie? Can we go through this? Can you help me? You know, do a little cutting and pasting and putting in titles. And you're going to get them engaged and excited about learning as much as they can about their family history maybe even helps to make a little documentary because you're not you're you're giving them an experiential learning. You're not just sitting there telling them about some distant ancestor who they could give a rap ass about because they don't know who that person is. You right. know? And so it's really fun. And kids also love, love, love seeing their parents and grandparents when they were kids. You know, yeah. I mean I can't even they do. And they like to see the family resemblances. And sometimes even the kids will have a breakthrough and say, oh, I do that? Grandpa did that when he was, you know, playing baseball when he was 12 years old. Yep. That's 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 so true on that. And just for the for everybody out there listening, um, this is this is super huge and, and important. I mean, uh, for my longtime listeners have heard me talk about this on occasion. That is so important, Rhonda. And, and thank you for sharing that because you know when somebody is gone, they are. You know, I have a I, one of my questions for you was going to be or is. Um, my mom had all of these pictures of all these people in our family, and I quote unquote meant to sit with her and have her tell me, okay, who is this person and write the name on there. And I never did. And I and I I have two boxes of these old old photos, and I have no idea who these people are because I didn't take the time to to do those things. So that's super huge. I mean, I I just recently had a friend of mine. Yeah, he lost his mom, uh, and he's and I kept telling him to do that. I said, dude, you know, ask her those questions. You know, get those stories out. And now he's kicking himself. He's like, you know, something came up, and I'm like, well, uh, mom's the only one that knew that. Um, so right. what should I do? What should I do with those? I mean, actually, I, not, I thought about it. I'm like, maybe I could sell the photos to Getty, Getty images, but I literally have two boxes full of photo albums and I have no idea. And there's nobody alive that can tell me who they are. I mean, this is where the genealogy research comes in, right? Because I don't know if you're into that kind of thing or if your mom had any siblings or you have to start with what you know about her and work backwards. Right. And, and that's normally the best place to start, you know, like, you know, did she go to a particular church or did she, you know, um, you know, was she involved in anything that could give you some insight as to who those people were are? And often it's the genealogy research or, you know, finding out um, something about where she went to high school. It's amazing what you can, you can get old high school yearbooks mm-hmm. <laughs> if you wanted to and, and start comparing photos or, um, you know, of high school yearbooks to the photos that you have. Actually, Ancestry.com is starting a new facial recognition program. I heard about that. Their conferences are amazing. I've gone and I've actually gotten to speak at a couple of their their conferences. 
in terms of what they can do, you go to their event where they'll let you bring up to like 30 photos at a time and they'll scan them for free. And then they'll be able to eventually generate any facial recognition that may correspond to the photo you have. But just that whole thing just blows me away. But I always tell people that the other thing they can do is if you're still connected through social media to any of the families that you might have grown up with or, you know, any if you know of any of the friends that, well, the, you know, your mom's friends may not be alive, maybe some of their children are alive. Sometimes if you just put a photo up on Facebook and just say, hey, this was taken probably here, probably this year. Does anybody have any idea who's in this photo? Hmm. That would be fun just and to then, do as a joke anyway. <laughs> put up a yeah, random picture. I mean, it Who is. is this? You know, because I know my grandparents were involved in the opening of a credit union, and we have some footage of all the people filing in with their first deposits, uh, which is really kind of fun. And my uncle did recognize a few of the people because they all belong to the same synagogue. But, you know, I said to him, I said, you know, you're all retired together in Florida. I'm sure some of these people have great-grandchildren, you know, or maybe even their children are still alive, it would be so neat to try to identify who some of these people are. Yeah, that's, yeah, it blows my mind. I mean, especially that facial recognition. Somebody was telling me that there, the cameras now, like uh, security cameras, have that ability too. And like in the not-too-distant future, it's going to be like you could be walking down the street and it's like, oh, facial recognition, Christopher Roush walking down Fifth, Fifth Avenue or something like that. that that's kind of creepy, but it, it's kind of cool at the same respect because maybe not for my generation, maybe for the next generation, they'll be able to take all these pictures and throw them up on uh, a site and it'll say, oh, yeah, that's Grandma Mamir and that's, you know, something like that. So that's, right. that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. It's um, um it's just fascinating when you when you go back and it's just that that etching of time. But um, yeah, I, I could get on a sideways uh, conversation about that. <laughs> one of my a, art, one of my archivist friends, I love the way she puts it. She always says it's like making a phone call to the past. Yeah. Oh my God, I love that making a phone call to the past. Wow, that that's that's super true. I know for me, uh, I'll I'll share this little story. One time, I was uh, was drinking. And I was probably in my early 30s, I think it was, and I was out on my patio, and I and I came across some pictures and, of me. And I looked, and I was sitting there staring at this little boy, and I'm, like, looking into my own eyes as a kid, and I, I sat there, and I got emotional. I'm like, dude, do you have any idea what you're going to be up against for the next five years? You know, it was just crazy, and I just got emotional mm-hmm. because it's just that it's that immediate connection um, but I think, I think some of it, like you said before on the iPhones and everything else, I know I'm guilty of this. I've taken a bazillion pictures. I keep loading them onto my hard drive, but I never look at them. And I think that's the kind of the sad thing is we don't have photo albums like we used to have back in the quote unquote old days. <laughs> right. I mean, that's something I've started doing not as often as I should, but you know, even just being with my family this weekend, I am going to print out at least a few pictures. It's so easy. You just upload them even to Target. And then they mm. mail them to you. There's no reason why we shouldn't all be printing out at least a few pictures every few months. That's a great idea. Huh. So you just upload it to Target and then they just mail you the prints? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. cool. I mean, just so you have it's... something. I mean, you know, because we are going to have a big black hole. People don't, aren't thinking about it right now. But even myself, I, I, my digital life is a mess. My analog life is all is all organized, <laughs> you know, because I have something physical and tangible to work with, right? Right. But you know, you know, first I had this the phone, and then I had that phone, and then I yep. had a PC, and then I had a Mac, and you know, I had Google Chrome, and now I've got iCloud, and my stuff is everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And um, yeah, I I guess there's a new piece of software I haven't tried it yet. It's called Milo or Milo. A friend of mine was telling me about it, but I guess it helps you figure out all your different cloud-based things <laughs> and all your devices and pull them all together and delete duplicates. So that's definitely something I need to find out more about. Ooh, yeah, that is yeah. that's that's that definitely. Ooh, that would right, be great. Right. Um, give us kick-ass so, tip number four. 
So, yeah, so, um, you know, the, the most important thing that I want people to walk away with is that it's so important to create a digital archive for long-term preservation. So film is the only proven archival medium, but that means that it'll last for 100 years if stored properly. And so it's really important to make sure once you discover that you have film and tape, that you take it out of the attic, take it out of the basement, smell it. If it smells like an old salad, it's already got something called vinegar syndrome, and it mm. might be starting to deteriorate a little bit. And um, you want to put it in the middle of the house in a cool, dry place. And I guarantee you if you do that, the film will last longer than you will. <laughs> you can eat, some people even send them to um, storage facilities that are climatically controlled. It's not as expensive as you would think. For about 40 bucks a month, you can put all your film and photos and slides, all the original. Uh, it's cheaper than cloud storage by far. It's like, you know, you fill up like a banker's box size of all your media. And sure. uh, they'll even give you a certificate that you can put with your important papers. So someday your descendants, if they ever want to go back to the original media, will know where to find it. And because the thing is, the way we consume media keeps changing. So just like years ago, people had their home movies transferred to VHS. Well, hopefully yeah. they didn't throw the films away because the film is much better quality and last longer than the VHS was. So I tell people, throw those VHS tapes away, go back to the original film, and retransfer it again. So some people would retransfer it maybe 15 years ago to a mini DV tape, which was better than the VHS tape. Now you can throw out all those mini DV tapes, go back to the original film, and now we tell people to do two formats, transfer to a hard drive, but then also transfer to some kind of hard disk, like a DVD or a Blu-ray. The hard drive is much better quality, but at least you'll have the disk if something should happen to that hard drive. And by yeah. the way, I always tell people do the three by three by three rule, which means back it up in three places, three times a year, and then migrate it to a fresh hard drive every every three years. Because hard drives will fail if not started. So three places, start it up every three months, and a new hard drive every three years. That is that is then, awesome advice, Rhonda. Because that's I I'm guilty of that. I have actually when you were saying that I have two hard drives underneath my desk here, and I was thinking, was the last time I turned those? Oh yeah, I got to do my backups. Oh shit. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. And so um, it's really beautiful once you learn how to create a digital master, which is what my company Pro Eight Millimeter helps you do. One of the things that I love that we do is no matter how many different formats you have. Like if you had old 16-millimeter film that, you know, came from the 30s or regular 8 or super 8 or VHS or mini-DV or DVD, we encode them all so they're all speaking the same language. We call it ProRes. It's like a professional version of MOV. It's compressed enough that you could work with it in a home computer, but not so compressed that the quality isn't amazing. And, you know, that eliminates the need for having all different kinds of playback devices because everything is now speaking the same language. So you could theoretically do a small documentary, just businesses, maybe that span four or five generations, just weddings or just grandma, because you can now intermix the film and the tape so easily because you've got it all on a hard drive, speaking the same language, and we're so lucky that our modern computers, like a Mac, but also some PCs, come with easy-to-use editing software to create fantastic projects. Because let's face it, your media is meant to be shared with as many people as you can in as many ways as you can. And while I said a few minutes ago permission-based is always best, that if you're going to put it up on the Internet, um, particularly if you're putting up stuff with kids, because <laughs> they yeah. get really upset. It's okay if they put it up. But, you know, I remember one year I put up for my niece Candace's 21st birthday this absolutely adorable video of her when she was three. She was in college at the time. She was a freshman. She called me up. She's like, get, get down, get that down. All my college friends are <laughs> teasing me. I'm like, oh, lesson learned. I never did that again, ever, ever, mm -hmm. ever. So I just yeah, always feel permission-based is always best. But the power of handing somebody a hard drive as opposed to handing them a DVD cannot be underestimated because we all experience life differently. So once you have your film transferred on a hard drive, you can make multiple copies of that hard drive and hand it to all different family members and they can edit the story they want. You know, yeah. particularly powerful in blended families. 
says, while, you know, mom may not want home movies up for X, the kids certainly do. And so it gives people the opportunity to edit the story the way that it means the most to them. Wow. Awesome, awesome advice. And I believe you have one more kick-ass tip. Yeah, really is um, what we talked about a little bit out of order about how you can use the the films as stock footage. So I guess I'm just going to give you a bonus tip. And um, uh, let's see, my number one bonus tip would be to, let's see, I think I covered most of them. Um, I guess my number one bonus tip would be to not be afraid to put your stuff up on YouTube. Because there are still a lot of people, surprisingly, who are very, very private when it comes to their families. And I think that having your stuff up on YouTube in a public YouTube channel is so amazing because we are all micro-historians. And all the footage that we have shot on those home movie cameras over the years have huge amounts of information, not only for researchers, but think of all the people who don't have home movies who may have grown up in your town or community. They either lost them in, say, a fire or a flood, like Hurricane Katrina. Half of New Orleans lost their home movies. So if you have home movies of, say, you know, a Saints game or a Mardi Gras parade, that means that's gold to those people who don't have access to that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. There's also something called the Internet Archive, and the Internet Archive allows you to upload your home movies for free for researchers um, or just anybody who's interested in the way we live. I mean, it's like a living history book, and so that's probably my biggest tip is that home movies are to share, and then once you transfer them, to share them with as many people as possible and just ask permission of anybody who you think is on them who may not feel comfortable with it. Awesome. Awesome, Rhonda. Well, I mean, the hour went by really fast. I knew it was going to. Um, Share with everybody where they can continue this conversation with you, what your website is, any telephone numbers or emails you want to. Uh, That way they can can continue that and hopefully send you their, uh, their videos and have you create a new legacy for them. Yeah, absolutely. My company is in Burbank. It's called Pro8mm, P-R-O, the number 8-M-M, Pro8mm.com. Phone number is 818-848-5522. You can email me, Rhonda, R-H-O-N-D-A, at Pro8mm.com. I'll share a little bit of bragging here. We do a lot of work for the studios, presidential libraries, museums, documentaries. We just finished the Kurt Cobain documentary. We've done History of the Eagles. We've done tons of stuff for the presidential libraries and museums. But when we're not doing stuff for the studios, we do consumer home movie transfers on the exact same machine by the exact same film handlers, about 75 or 80% off our published studio rates. And we do that because everybody matters. Every frame matters. Every legacy matters. Your home movies are just as important to you as Steven Spielberg's are to them. And we want everyone to know that their life and their family legacy matters. If you're interested in my books and my teaching, I teach a home movie education class. It's eight weeks online. It's launching again in October. My books, you can get my speaking. You can invite me to speak to your group where I'll actually show you some amazing footage of things that have been restored. And that you can get to me from my personal website, which is Home Movie Legacy. So homemovielegacy.com for the educational stuff and the speaking stuff and Pro8MM for all the actual transfers. I like to say Pro 8 Millimeter is the how, and the Home Movie Legacy is the why. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. I love it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you guys that are driving, um, all this information will be available on the show site, uh, thekickassradioshow.com. Uh, Rhonda's information will be there. So I really strongly encourage you guys to, you know, as always, when you get these tips, don't just sit on them. Start doing stuff with them. She gave some excellent advice, and we talked about a lot of different things out there. Don't die with the music in you. Don't let other people go before the stories are told. You know, get together and, and cherish those times and relive those times and, and, and just make sure you carry it on for the rest of your family. And Rhonda's company uh, is is there as a viable option to make sure that that doesn't get put on the wayside and, and, and uh, wind up for later regret, uh, which will always suck. So 
Um, this is the Kick-Ass Radio Show. Hey, if you guys got a guest in mind or a particular show subject you want, just send us an email, info at thekickassradioshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. We've got uh, some amazing guests lined up. We're booked up through, I think, September. Uh, so, again, you know, just check back with us. And, Rhonda, thank you so much, sweetie, for, for being a guest here and sharing your wisdom and, and, your, and your knowledge because that's, we all need to hear it, especially me, on a few things. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. It was awesome to be on your show. Awesome, awesome. Well, we will talk soon. All right, for you guys out there in Kick-Ass Radio Land, uh, make sure you guys just don't be limited by your, the thoughts of your own mind. You know, just get out there and live your life. Do things on your own accord and just, just to have a kick-ass life. And, and like we said at the beginning of the show, go back and give to those less fortunate. Until next week, we'll see you later. This is the Kick-Ass Radio Show signing off.